Turn to Daniel chapter 3. We didn't quite uh, get all the way through our study of chapter 3 last week, so today we're going to spend some time there at the end of chapter 3 and work our way into the beginning of chapter 4. Remember, uh, this is when Nebuchadnezzar has thrown Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow and worship his golden image. So we'll pick up there in uh, Daniel 3, verse 24, and read to chapter 4, verse 9. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, and there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Amen. All right. Last week we talked about two main points in chapter 3. Uh, They were, anybody remember? That was so long ago. We had false faith revealed in Nebuchadnezzar and true faith revealed in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, I was saying we're tempted at the end of chapter 2 and at the end of chapter 3 to think that Nebuchadnezzar has been converted, that he's believed in God. 
At, uh, but as we move into chapter four, we will see, especially next week as we kind of further develop, but um, we'll see that though he seemingly made a profession of faith at the end of chapter two and he blesses God at the end of chapter three, his heart was still unchanged at that point. But in contrast, in chapter three, we see the uh, bold faith and uh, the spiritual life of the Hebrews. Most notably, in chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, when they were pressed to worship the golden image, and I'll read this, their response again. They say, Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It's a great passage in Scripture, probably a good one to memorize. So we had false faith revealed with Nebuchadnezzar. We had true faith revealed with the Hebrews. And the third point that I want, wanted to make last week, but we didn't have time, was that true faith reaps a harvest. And we see this at the, uh, at the end of chapter 3. So let's look briefly at the end of chapter 3. Uh, as we just read, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian leaders are shocked because, you know, they're thrown into this fiery furnace that was heated seven times hotter. It was so hot that the servants that took them up there to throw them in, they died because they got close. But uh, not even a hair was singed on these three Hebrews. Their clothes were not harmed. They didn't even smell like smoke, the text says, when they came out. It was another uh, miracle of God. Now, we're, as I said a minute ago, we're tempted to believe that in response, Nebuchadnezzar is turning to God, but he's not, at least not yet. That said, there is something going on. And in verse 20, 29, uh, we see that one of the blessings that came out of this through Nebuchadnezzar is religious freedom for the Hebrews. So before, if they would not worship the false God, they were thrown into the furnace, right? And now anyone who speaks against their God, our God, the one true God, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to tear them limb from limb. So it's not exactly like the best religious liberty policy, but nonetheless, one of the things that we see is the Hebrews are afforded religious liberty. This is a blessing for them in their slavery in Babylon. Now, um, sometimes we're in seasons of trial. Sometimes God is pruning us and it you know, doesn't feel like fruitfulness. Because it's not, because he's pruning us to bear fruit in later seasons. But this passage represents a, a season of fruitfulness for the people of God. Um, you know, in terms of religious liberty, we don't know any different in this country. I mean, that's one of the founding principles of our nation. So, um, but we should know that anyone from the outside, and if people from other civilizations before our time could look in, they would say, what a blessing that we have in religious liberty in our nation. Uh, religious freedom is rare in terms of world history. We are the only nation that's ever had this kind of religious liberty um, for this amount of time. It's not even that long. but um, And that, that made it a, a founding principle of our nation's you know, fabric, though that's being threatened now. But according to history, it would be much more normal to be in the situation that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in than it is to be in the situation that we are in. The freedom to assemble and worship God. Uh, that's not the norm around the world. That's not just okay with everybody. 
And we could go into why, because they know that it's not just doing nothing, you know, because there is going to be, uh, there's power there and there's fruit that will come from that. But the, especially the freedom to proclaim the gospel in the public square, that is a rare blessing. And, you know, uh, one of the things that, and Obama was doing this for sure, but he started talking about the freedom of worship as opposed to the freedom of religion. One of the things he was trying to say is, yeah, it's fine for you to assemble, but don't speak that stuff out here. But that's not, the principle of religious liberty in our country is, it, it goes together with the freedom of speech. So it's that we have the freedom to assemble and worship and do whatever you do in there, but also that you have the freedom to speak those things out here. That's our nation's heritage, and that is a great blessing, something to be thankful for. These are blessings that we ought to praise God for. They're normal to us. We don't think about them. But ask those Iranian pastors that Dr. Young just spoke to, them and their wives, and ask them if this is normal. What do you think if they could assemble like us, even just for a week or a month, how, how joyful they would be? And, um, you know, we, we ought to give thanks. If we're honest, this is a blessing that we take for granted. I know I do. I mean, we just assume we're going to assemble here and everything's fine. And, um, you know, we tend to just kind of roll into worship because it's what we do. But, you know, for people like that, I mean, they're risking their life when they go to worship. So there's a certain energy and focus and um, joy and fear even in that. Um. You know the parable of the talents where God gives the one talent and the five talents and the ten talents and and uh, the one with five made five more, the one with ten made ten more, and they're commended. Way to go. The one with one buried it, and he is condemned, called a wicked servant. I mean, this is even one of God's people. But uh, what you have is going to be taken from you, and to one who has, more will be given, you know. And I just think about that with the blessings that we have. We have a responsibility to steward and our stewardship looks like, um, you know, it, it will grow more fruitful in our in our hands that we don't just kind of take it and bury it and do nothing with it. And so I was thinking about that passage in, in this. Um, I think the church in our nation has done great things with the freedom of religious liberty. You think about world missions and the opportunities that we've had. Uh, seminary training, and there's much great work, but our temptation would be just to kind of take it for granted and, and bury it and uh, just kind of let it terminate on ourselves. But uh, certainly we need to give thanks, and, and we need to take advantage of it. Um, really, you know, we may not always have the religious freedom that we do now. I'm have said often that I think if Hillary had been elected, we wouldn't. Uh, it's not to say anything about the other candidate, but I just think that uh, she would carry on that trajectory that was happening. I think we would have been much more stifled. Although, when you look at history, that's not necessarily a bad thing. The church tends to thrive under pressure. Sometimes we need to be stoked a little bit to wake up. Um, but you think about it, what, what happens if, we, if it's taken away? It might be taken away. I mean, there might come a day in this nation where, yeah, so what? It's in the Constitution, and it's, you know, one of our founding principles. But we stopped caring about that a long time ago. Um, what if our religious freedom dwindles? 
Well, we do what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. We do what Daniel will do in what he will do in chapter 6. And we talked last week about Peter and John in Acts 4. We talked about Perpetua in the early church. Sometimes it works out that God delivers in, uh, you know, to serve more in this life. But sometimes it works out that God delivers through death, through martyrdom, like Perpetua, uh, like the believers in Egypt most recently, like um, so many throughout church history. And so I think while these themes seem far away from us, they're not as far as we think. And uh, they're things, these are a part of the, the normal fabric of our faith that we really need to meditate on and contemplate and work through our own fears. You know, just to trust God amidst our fears that, man, people could really oppose you like that? Yes, because we serve the Lord. Um, All right. Not only do we see the blessing of religious freedom in our passage, in verse 30, we also see the blessing of promotion. This is the second time God's people have been promoted. Uh, I'm not going all health and wealth on you, but I do think that uh, we need to take notice of this. Um. You know, one thing that I noted in this passage is they weren't seeking the promotion. They were seeking God. They were seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of this was added to them. You know, that's not to say you don't ever seek a promotion. I mean, there will be times when God will have you go and get the job, go and pursue that opportunity. Um, But I think that we had better know about ourselves in the midst of that, that our hearts can easily wander into that pride and lust for power that Nebuchadnezzar has displayed and uh, that he will continue to display into chapter 4. And so in those pursuits, to be on guard. You know, it can be a great blessing. Wealth can be a great blessing. Um, But we need to know of its dangers. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. So might we seek the Lord for his will, trusting that he's going to place us where he wants us. If that's in a promotion, we're going to end up there. Um, And, you know, being content to fill the little space that he gives us and trusting that he will work out his plan in our lives. And I think another important thing to remember, we touched on this last week, but while at times we will see fruits of faith in this life, like religious liberty, like a promotion or whatever it is, Um, it's always good to remember that the fullness of the fruit will not come until we get to glory. Uh, There will come a day when we have the full harvest of our faith, but it's never going to be here. There's always going to be some sense of unfruitfulness. There's always going to be a sense in which we think there ought to be more return on what we're investing here and there. And uh, we always have to project that on the other side of the grave because that is where... The, the full harvest of our faith um, will be received. All right, now, there's a scene change from the end of three to four. It's kind of an abrupt stop and restart. Some time has elapsed, and <coughs> chapter four opens with Nebuchadnezzar telling us his testimony. So, verse two, it seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Verse three, how great are the signs, uh, his signs and his mighty wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. This is him picking up on what was revealed in the first dream, and he's come to believe this. Uh, This is a saved man speaking at this point. He wasn't saved after the first dream. 
uh, with the, you know, the image in his dream. He wasn't saved after God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. And we're going to see that as he talks about his life as it went on from there. But he was saved after the events uh, that are described in chapter 4. After another dream and uh, subsequent events as foretold in that dream. That said, we're really going to focus on the contents of the dream next week and uh, his conversion. But there are a few things that I want us to see leading up to that in the text. Really just a couple things. We'll start in verse 4. Again, this is Nebuchadnezzar back before his conversion. He's, it's as if he's telling his testimony. You know how you start. Well, back when I was in high school. I mean, so this is, uh, this is kind of him doing that number. And he says, um, well, I, two points I want us to see. The dangers of prosperity and the power of the light in the darkness. The dangers of prosperity and the power of the light in the darkness. So first, the dangers of prosperity. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. So when he looks back to tell his testimony, and he's kind of talking about the things that he has overcome, he's talking about the ease that he had and the prosperity that he had. Um, These were obstacles that had to be overcome in order for him to trust the Lord. Now, certainly we know that... uh, It's true that ease and prosperity can further blind those that are already spiritually blind, right? I mean, it can cause them not to see the need that they actually have for the Lord. But not only for lost people, right? I mean, ease and prosperity can be major problems for God's people as well. This made me think of King David before he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, and then he tried to cover it up by killing a guy, killing her husband, having him killed. Second Samuel 11, as he's, it's leading up to that uh, affair, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent his men out to battle. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. You know, this, uh, this is a time when he normally would have been at war. He's been going to war for years by this point. And conquering, you know, Saul conquered his thousands. David his ten thousands. I mean, he was a great military leader. But now, his kingdom had grown and he had people to manage that. He's just basking in his wealth. I mean, he's on his couch. What else is he going to do? Eating grapes. (laughs) Drinking wine. He had idle time on his hands. He was at ease in his prosperity. If we're honest, this is where most of us want to get. And it can be a very dangerous place. Um, it, it often is that idle time and lots of opportunity is a dangerous place to be. Chris, I want to speak to that for a second. Okay. I was, I was thinking about the, uh, the lie that we tell ourselves about the things that we want. <clears throat> So whether it's a house or a vacation or an amount of money or um, just things that, that you acquire, you know, we believe the lie that um, once I get those things, I'll be happy. Yeah. Right, you know, like that, or that that's really going to be this euphoric moment. Yeah. Um, and I'm super guilty of, you know, when I take my kids on this trip, that will be it. And then, of course, you do those things, um, or I say, I shouldn't say when, of course, but when you do those things, 
um, the the marketing around it uh, is revealed that it's just not quite as shiny and perfect as you think. Right. And so then, of course, the next thing you do is like, well, I just need to do it again. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's the just line. with a little different I, yeah, spin. So instead of going to this place, we we'll go to this yeah. place, or we bought this car, so we'll buy this car. And you know, it's we're just putting this value on a thing. Yeah. And I'm I'm just saying it. I'm just pouring out my transparency. I mean, I, you've done this a few times <laughs> last week, um, and so <clears throat> you know, it's ter- it's terrible. Uh, some of the some of the basic concepts that we get mm-hmm. that we don't apply. Yeah. You know, I can sit in this classroom and say, well, I know that the 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 highest value doesn't come with from things and then I'm gonna leave here on Monday I'm gonna go out for things yeah right now I may not sit there and and draw it out as once I get X dollars in the bank then I'll be happy yeah but there are things attached with all that stuff and uh, it's amazing uh, I'll just pick on myself it's just amazing how much of an idiot I can be uh, that I'll get up and I'll go after that and then I can sit here and feel quite wise of well I'm not gonna I'm not going to place such value in those things. Right. It's a terrible cycle. Well, and, you know, we are fickle. Um, and as Dr. Young has been talking about on Wednesday nights, we, we have the spirit, we have the flesh. And uh, the flesh is deceptive. Then we have the enemy who preys on that. And we just get easily deceived. We, we, we start thinking these ways, and there's not the stop signs that we need. And it's, you know, but I... Even these are things that we need to grab hold of and we can argue with ourselves in the middle. So you're in a busy season and, and you start lusting for ease and prosperity. Right? But you can talk to yourself and say, what do you want? You want what Nebuchadnezzar had before he was saved? You want what David did? Is that what you want? Ease and prosperity so you can go ruin your life? Or, you know, the, the time when David would have gone out to war is communicated in 2 Samuel 11 as a positive. You know, when he had work to do. And so I think that's where we go back to the beginning and we see God's design and we say, you know what, God, you have designed that this work is good. Like I'm gassed. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Because I don't have idle time and I don't have the ease and prosperity that would probably ruin me if I did. So thank you for the work. Thank you for this season of trial. Because I know, again, we have to fight ourselves. It's hard. And, but, but then we can't let ourselves just, oh, if only I could. You know, whatever your thing is, get to that ease and prosperity. It's not to say seasons of rest. God did set it up so that we rest one in seven. And even if you read through the law, which is so burdensome, there's these like great periods of Sabbath, you know, after seven years, take a year off kind of thing. I mean, there's some great um, intervals of rest that God designed in the fabric of his creation. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but that lust for ease and prosperity will not prove fruitful in our lives. And uh, we can talk to ourselves about that. All right. I think that most of us, um, you know, we don't want that vanity, self-service, ease, prosperity. Like in our finer moments, we're like, yeah, that's bad. I don't want that. I mean, I do want that in my flesh and I tend to gravitate toward it, but I don't want to end up like that. Um, a couple of things I thought. One of the real problems that we run into is when we compare ourselves to others, 
you know, and we're looking out at what they've got going on, and really it's not as good as it seems from a distance. I mean, if we would just get a little bit closer into what they've got, they've got the same burdens, the same trials. Um, but really what we need to do is be examining ourselves before God's vision in Scripture, right? Like work, the goodness of work. Uh, re- am I resting enough? Is the reason I'm lusting for this is because I'm not taking time to rest enough and having appropriate intervals in my life. Um, but is there something here too that's that's really wicked and driving after that ease and prosperity that will ruin me? Uh, you know, comparing ourselves, examining ourselves before God's word is always going to prove much more fruitful than comparing ourselves to others. Uh, that's just cancerous. And, you know, we think about it then in terms of stewardship, um, in terms of prosperity. Prosperity is not always bad. Wealth can be a great blessing. We need it. And the church needs it in order to do what we're trying to do, right? We, we need different kinds of wealth. We need knowledge wealth. We need money wealth. We need different things. So it's not all bad. Um, but if we're examining ourselves before God's word, we're remembering all that we have is his, everything. It's all to be given thanks for. He's given it to me for his purposes, for his glory. Um, he's called me to stewardship. You know, the, the talents and stewarding the talents, not burying them, but stewarding them. And, and the place to start with that is not saving, but a principle of sacrifice, right? It's better to give than to receive, um, that sort of thing. It's not that saving isn't important. Saving is important. And, uh, but in God's economy, we're examining ourselves before the Scripture. We know that giving is most important. And so, you know, as I have many conversations with many of you, I, I, I think that most of us track with that. I mean, we really want to be in line with God's Word in that regard. Um, but it's hard. You know, I mean, who hasn't ended up in a place financially where they wish they weren't? Um, who hasn't made poor decisions and done things that they wish they hadn't? Um, you know, who's giving as much as they wish they were? I mean, I think that everyone struggles to get this right, but I, you know, I just, it made me think of it because I had a couple conversations this week. And by the way, I think Katie Toombs is going to start a financial peace class at some point because um, for she and Jeremy, it's just been really helpful. And she was talking to, Maybe Gwen or Jonathan Todd won, but I think she was approved at Grace Venture to teach that at some point. And so I know they're excited about that. And uh, for anybody that would like some assistance in that regard, I highly recommend people think different things about Dave Ramsey, but he was very helpful for us um, just in terms of kind of getting getting our bearings in a, in a biblical framework. Anyway, all right, let's move on from there. Um, the next thing I want us to see is the power of the light and the darkness. And uh, I probably need to wait because we're, we're going to run out of time again. Anybody else want to talk about that? We'll just stay there. And if we have any more thoughts about that, we can do the other next week. About prosperity? Yeah, ease and prosperity, the temptation to want to go there. The How do we fight that? I don't think we know how bad it is in this country. I don't think, like, it, I hate don't think we, I mean, it's so easy here to uh, not have faith, right? That's a good way to put it, though, how bad it is in this country. Like, the te- the temptations that we're facing because of what we, the hand we've been dealt. I was thinking when you were talking about 
that is our perspective of the easy life. Yeah. I think most of the world would think we already are sitting in prosperity and we already, the fact that we have Sundays off and we're not working two jobs. Yeah. Our kids are fed. We all have clothes. We have choices. You get to choose what color gray. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think our do I want organic so or do I want, yeah. Yeah, I think our perspective is so off. I agree. That we are, we are David and we're yeah. talking like we still want to be David and that's crazy. Yeah. Because we're already, where do you want to go for a restaurant? Oh, I didn't get the new shoes I wanted. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And we're still thinking that we don't have enough because we're, you know, he's talking about trips. Yes, that's what, that's what we strive, strive for. And I think there's, I think we're already in prosperity. I don't think yeah. we're striving for. I think we're just delusional. Well, I think both of those are great. I think you're both exactly right. And um, so what do we do? I mean, we have to fight against that then. If we're, if our responsibility as Christians is to put off the old man, put on the new, kill the flesh so it doesn't kill us. I mean, we're just sitting with the flesh. And remember the illustration of the snake? You let the snake in bed with you and this crazy woman that had a pet snake and it would sleep with her and... It was like six feet long, and she takes it to the vet, and he's like, everything's good. Any strange behavior? No, not really. It's just it's been stretching out next to me instead of curling up in a little coil on the pillow. Is that weird? And he's like, yeah, he's going to eat you. He's just sizing you up, you know, to see if you'll fit. Um, You let the the flesh hang around, and it's going to, we're going to end up in places we don't want to be. So if you're right, and I think you are, how do we combat that? I really think the great, uh, Grace Venture strategy is a good motto to return to. Live more simply, to give more sacrificially, to accomplish the Great Commission. Um, and I mean that in, in every possible... You know, if what we long for is that time of rest, um, that time of doing nothing and being served, you know, maybe we ought to, uh, at those points in our year start with one of those points is going to be all about sacrifice and not about self-service you know a mission trip uh something where we can at those points in the year we all have them we know when they come we look forward to them weeks and months in advance and we're going to go spend ourselves instead of be spent for and one of the things that will happen in that is you'll be more replenished than we normally are after vacation, right? I mean, vacation sucks the life out of you a lot of times. You return and you're like, oh, I need a vacation. No, 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 vacation's with children. Yeah, that's not a a vacation, that's a trip. I heard Matt Chandler say that one time. He said, it's not a vacation when the kids are there. It's a trip. You know, and I, I love the doing trips with the kids, like... That's fine. That's good. But I, we got to combat this. We can't just be okay with being David and ease and prosperity. You know, why is it that the, there are, the divorce rate is what it is in the church compared with the world? It's the same. Why is it that we have just as many affairs? Well, maybe it's because we're sitting on our couches eating grapes. I think the answer is, is so painful for us. Like our Tuesday groups reading a book. Francis Chan wrote called Forgotten Guys by the Holy Spirit. Like it's it's like been eliminated in the church. Like you know, yeah. It's just is, and it's true. And I think the only reason, the only way to get the Holy Spirit working in your life is to need Him. 
Yeah. We don't need him. I mean, we don't we don't have to have him. Yeah. I mean, you know, from a worldly viewpoint, and I don't think I mean, I know there are people that are probably completely disagree with me, but I, it's a it's a big problem. Yeah. I mean, the book talks about you know Jesus left Earth and left the Holy more or less told the disciples the Holy Spirit was coming to take his place. And so he's here. Yeah. And to ask the question, when's the last time you felt and knew the Holy Spirit was there? And it's like, oh. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I had a really good margarita last night. That's yeah. right. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and some grapes. I think the answer is really, I mean, it is for me, like, it's, it's painfully obvious because I really like what I've got. There's two things that... Go ahead. I think we have to be reminded, I mean, greed and wealth stares me in the face every day. Mm. Ugly. You see the ugliness of it. Yeah. And still, you see that. I mean, literally some days I leave and I think, I I feel like I stare at Satan in the face all day. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's just, it's all about your, or it's all about a person's idea of what... Mm -hmm should have they want to have and then you see people on the other side that have it all and they're miserable Mm -hmm. but it's just the constant reminder even seeing that you're still tempted to be like well if i do this but i'm not going to do it like that yeah i'm going to do it like this and you're just constantly deceiving yourself and one of the things here i mean there is a sense in which god's blessing will involve this kind of fruitfulness that becomes problematic for us. Like for the Israelites going into the promised land, it was a land flowing with milk and honey and their responsibility. It was, it was rich in resources, more rich than any of the surrounding nations had. And they, people were able to look and say, God has blessed, you know, but how we know how quickly that can turn into just a curse and how it did for the people of Israel. So we got to start with gratitude for where we are. But I think we also have to constantly suppress that part of us that wants, our paws want to get all over to make it ours. And one of the things that I found, you know, some of this is elementary for some of you, but I'm just saying, I mean, I've been surprised by, we we get, we feel like we need to keep up and we get over, you know, upside down. and And before you know it, I mean, we're just not anywhere where we need to be. So no matter where we are, we got to stop and put our tithe as the number one thing on the budget. Not because the church needs it, not be- but we need to give it. And God has called for it. We need to give it. And we need to feel that every week and entrust ourselves to God every, every week or every month and just say, you are sovereign. This is not even mine. I have no rights to this. And this is how I prove that. Every week, every month. All right. But another thing that I think, you know, if what we tend to want is to spend on us and save for us, and there's good in that, but we need to be giving on top of that some radical amounts at times. I mean, mortgage payment amounts multiple times a year. Now, that's crazy, but how else are we going to get our hearts off it, you know, and get it through our thick 
flesh to say it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. It's not for self-service. It's for God. So I just think those are two ideas. You guys have better ones. but And some of you, you know, have better examples from your life that you're too humble to share in front of other people, which is good. But, I mean, we have to have that radical sacrifice principle in our minds all the time. And that's numero uno on warring against the ease and prosperity lust is sacrifice. You know, Dr. Young says, give until it hurts. It's not always just money. Sometimes it's time, you know, sometimes. And we're like, we don't have that much time to give. All right, well, we got to tithe it. We got to, we got to make sure we're giving off the top to God. And, and how can I use my gifts and service to him? And some of us are already just so maxed out doing good, meaningful things And we need to just believe that it's good, that God has me working to the bone right now, and He's blessed me so much I can hardly navigate it, and I'm going to thank Him for it. Because I know that if I had what I really want, which is the ease and prosperity, I'd go screw it up. But I think you guys are right. I don't have all the answers. I think we really need to to think about this a lot. Chris, can I get a parting shot? Yes. Uh, I was... Meeting with uh, Paige Lewis, you know she is. She's yeah. Ron Lewis's daughter. Missionary to India, now going to Nepal. Yeah, she she's been in serving her. Uh, she's been evangelizing in India and came back here. She's trying to go back to Nepal. Meeting with her and Jonathan Todd, who's our missions pastor. And uh, a question I asked her was, "What do you think Grace Van the uh, members should do, uh, or from your perspective, how do we uh, better engage in global missions?" And she started to say. Uh, I wish people would just pray. And Jonathan cut her off. And he started, I could tell he was starting to get worked up. And he said, if our people would only pray, and I don't even remember what he said after that, but the fact that that was the first thing that came out of his mouth, if our people would only pray, uh, we could impact global missions. Mm-hmm. That was jarring for me. Uh, and the live more simply, give more sacrificially thing, they're not asking for more money necessarily. Uh, I mean, I agree with you. We need to do that because it's good for us. Uh, but the fact that the, 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 that's a symptom of what y'all are talking about, which is that we don't feel like we need God. We don't feel like uh, we need to petition Him uh, or that He'll reply. Uh, and I thought that was, uh, you say, I don't know what to do. That's the place to start. And that's a great example of living more simply to give more sacrificially to accomplish the Great Commission. We're going to tithe with our time. And we're going to give off the top to God. That's what the tithe was, giving the best 10%. And so as I go back to my crazy busy life, I'm going to carve out an inconvenient period of time to pray. And, and I'm going to pray for the things that burden me, but it's not all going to be me-centered. I'm going to pray for the global church. I'm going to pray for Paige Lewis. And, you know, the Moravian Brethren, I know you know about them, but I'm learning about them again in, in uh, church history class. And uh, they were post-Reformation and just got a burden to pray. And they started an around-the-clock uh, prayer watch. And they're really some of the first known Protestant global missionaries. But they prayed for 100 years without stopping. Now, they had people, you know, around the clock. They had shifts and things like that. But 100 years. And they sent so many missionaries. And they, you know, it was just, that's a good way to end. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that by its light you shine it on us. And sometimes, Lord, we don't like what we see. Thank you that our sins are forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that our sins are forgiven. But I know, I speak for all of us, we, we want to live differently than that. We, we, want, um, we want this ease and prosperity not to get the best of us, that we would steward it, uh, that we would steward it and, and distribute the blessing that you've given us. So, Lord, teach us wisdom, convict us, pour out your spirit. Give us um, fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit that we might uh, know your will and walk in your paths for your name's sake. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.